0: Hello, welcome to Your Courageous Journey. This is Julie Farber.
1: And this is Julie Sickles.
0: And we have a really cool interview for you guys today. But before we get started, I just kind of wanted to explain what we do for people who might be new listeners and tuning into this episode for the first time. Real quickly, we just started this podcast because we both have had life experiences, as everyone does. But we've really spent a lot of time reflecting on them and listening to others' stories and And we wanted to shed light on the things that we've encountered and that others encounter on their day-to-day lives. Julie Sickles, she's also a therapist, so she has expert knowledge on most of these topics. And we really just want to be able to share what we have learned so that others can uh, better their lives. And our format is pretty much going to be two types of episodes. We'll have interviews and we'll have mind moments. And as I said, today will be an interview with Julie Sickles' friend and she will introduce her in just a minute. But in my moment, we will touch on a mental health or personal development topic from the interview that we feel like listeners will be able to benefit from, and it will help them in their daily
1: lives. Great. And today, we're going to have an interview with Alice. And first off, I want to say and explain that we're not using Alice's last name, and we're keeping her information confidential because she is going to be speaking to us about some of her family members and we just really want to be sensitive and protect their confidentiality. So Alice wanted to come on and share with us today, but we're going to try not to use any identifying information. But I've known Alice now for quite a few years. I I think it's about four years now And I first met Alice when she was a primary teacher for my daughter. And I was so impressed with Alice and just heard right away how kind and amazing she was with kids and everyone at church really loved her. And as I got to know Alice better and I heard more about her life experiences and situations, I've just always been very impressed by her patience and her wisdom. She has a lot of Really awesome wisdom to share. So, today I'm really excited to introduce you to her and to let her share just a a little piece of her story. I asked Alice specifically what was something that she would want to focus on as we interviewed her. And she talked about how she wants to share her experiences raising a daughter with severe mental health issues. Her second child is a daughter who has been diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder and also autism spectrum disorder. And there were many challenges that you'll hear more about growing up um, and raising her. So we're going to have this unique opportunity for her to really share how she was able to navigate these issues that are very severe and very chronic. Let's start off first by just having you introduce yourself and get to know a little bit more about you in general. Okay,
2: So my name is Alice, and I'm 76 years old. I was born in Utah and grew up in Utah, one of eight children, and went to the University of Utah, graduated, then looked for a job in teaching. But it was difficult to find jobs because everybody was graduating at that time. That's during the Vietnam War when everybody went to college. And so many people were out looking for jobs. So I ended up moving to California just because also I wanted to get away from home. (laughs) (laughs) I'd grown up, gone to school, and stayed in my parents' home. So I moved to California, got married, stayed in California, had children. I was married once, and my first husband left me, and I had three children, and then I got married again. And uh, to my second husband, and we had one. So together, he had two, I had three, and then we had one together. So there were six. Okay. Wow. So it was his, hers, and ours. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was my oldest daughter who had problems. Seems like she had problems even from the beginning. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay. So one thing you kind of left out, which I loved hearing about, earlier from you is that you are an artist. Oh yeah. Mm, like I a like really to, good artist. Yes. I
2: like to paint. Mm-hmm. I paint, but my, I don't know. I don't feel like I'm the best, artist. <laughs> but I enjoy it. Yeah. Well, and you've taught art too. I did. So when my children were little, I worked with the Parks and Recreation in Los Angeles Mm -hmm. and taught art classes at a place called McGroity Art Center, taught ceramics to children and art classes to children. And I really enjoyed it because it was only like at the most 10 hours a week. Mm -hmm. So I could still be a stay-at-home mother mostly and yet go out and teach art classes. And then after my youngest was in school full-time. Then I started looking for a job that was full-time. So I originally had taught school to first and fifth and second graders. And then um, when I had children, I substituted for a little bit. And then when I had a lot of children, I did the part-time job until I went back to work full-time. And then I taught homeschool students. Which was really fun. And I mm-hmm. taught art classes there, but also regular classes and had to know the curriculum from kindergarten up to twelfth grade.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. That's really cool. So
0: what was your degree in then? was it in teaching or
2: it was in elementary education. Uh, okay. When, after a while I went back and got a master's in curriculum development.
0: Oh, okay. Cool. That's awesome.
2: Yeah, it was hard getting a master's when you had little kids at home.
0: Oh, of course. I'm yeah. at that road right now. I don't have <laughs> little, little kids. I have bigger kids. But if I wanted to be a therapist, I would need a master's. And it would take me a long time. <laughs> so.
2: Well, it's hard because you're trying to be everything to everyone. And
1: yes, that's spend true. time
2: on on doing other things. It's not easy.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and Julie already did do the Going to school, she got her bachelor's from BYU Idaho while. Uh, it only
2: took me a Single years. mom, yeah. while <laughs> being a
1: single mom to two kids, so. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yep. Well, I think anybody who goes to school with children is is remarkable. Yeah, I agree with true. you.
1: I I, to- it's, I totally agree. It's such a hard thing to do. I got both of my degrees before the kids came, and I'm grateful. I think it would have been very hard. So
0: i remember having to tell them "Ma, we can't go do this because i got homework <laughs> <They're> like,
2: <laughs> well i i noticed that sometimes i would say i have to do homework and then they'd sit down and do theirs too and do it oh
0: together. that's cool i don't
1: that think we cool. ever
0: had moments like that because i was on my computer in my room and <laughs> there wasn't really room for them too <laughs> so <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: Good. Well, Alice, do you want to tell me more about your experience with your daughter?
2: Okay. When she was born, she spent, I guess, the last month facing down in my pelvis, mm. and her nose was pushed to one side. Mm. And so she had this bent nose, a crooked nose. And the doctor says, oh, well, we'll just straighten it. So they went up and I guess, I don't know what they did, but yeah, I know it's just cartilage, but they did something and then they put in um, nose drops to keep the breathing passages open. Mm-hmm. But with a little child, very new, they don't breathe through their mouths at all. Mm-hmm. And whatever they put in as a nose drop made her nose swell up. And so she stopped breathing. Oh, oh so no. like an
0: allergic reaction?
2: Yeah, no. Yeah.
0: Reaction. Yikes.
2: And, um, my husband at that time, my first husband, insisted that we bring her, bring her home because it was expensive and we were cheap and poor. <laughs> he was cheap, <laughs> but he was just starting out as a lawyer and he didn't have the money. So we brought her home and then he was taking pictures of her and she stopped breathing. <gasps> hmm. And so fortunately at Release Society, we'd had a fireman come a couple of months before who talked about resuscitating newborns mm. and infants so i started that he called nine one one, one one and she went back to the hospital where they ran her through a whole series of tests mm. but um they couldn't find anything wrong with her i think it was just the nose drops and after a while i mean they let her go after a couple of days but in the, she still had the crooked nose. Mm. So whenever I'd nurse her, I would put a little pressure on her nose to push it back. Mm. And eventually mm-hmm. it, it straightened and it wasn't crooked, but that was my first experience with her. And it was very frightening. Of yeah. Course. Very scary.
1: Especially as a brand new mom, right? Not having.
2: Well, she was my second baby.
1: Oh, she was your second. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But still it was still. Yeah.
2: And it was frustrating because when they took her to the hospital, I'd say, okay, you know, I had one child at home. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Fortunately, my mom came and stayed with me. But I'd say, well, I'll be back in two hours. So I'd come back in two hours ready to breastfeed her, and they would have fed her a bottle. Oh, Mm -hmm. no. (laughs) I don't think they liked breastfeeding back in those days. Mm -hmm. It was kind of not (laughs) avant-garde, they thought. That every baby should be bottle fed. Really? Hmm. Well, it was just the beginning of the breastfeeding movement, Mm. so they weren't at all supportive of my efforts to breastfeed her. I was grateful to get her home, but I noticed that she was she was really a a colicky baby, Mm -hmm. very difficult to get to sleep. She just, she didn't sleep. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, as a newborn mom, you're just so exhausted.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I finally found out that I could put her infant seat on the washing machine when I was running a cycle and she'd sleep. Oh, wow. that's nice.
0: <laughs> yeah. But like the as, vibrations of it. I yeah. think so. I know the car can have a similar effect for but kids.
1: Th- but that would only last, like, uh, would it just last the day? cycle of the watch the
2: cycle and then she'd wake up <laughs>
1: that's it oh.
2: and if i put her in the car to take her for a ride i'd done that with my oldest one mm-hmm. and he would just continue to sleep you'd take him out of the car seat mm-hmm. put him in the bed and he'd be sleeping but not her yeah <laughs> as soon as you removed her from the car seat she'd be awake yeah oh. so taking her for rides would not really work <laughs>
1: Right, they have- because you wouldn't get any sleep, because you'd be driving the whole time, yeah. and then you'd stop, and then she'd wake up. So That's it rough. was
2: exhausting with her. Yeah. Very exhausting. And then as she grew older, she had night terrors. Mm-hmm. They were terrifying,
1: because
2: mm-hmm. she would wake up screaming, but she wouldn't be awake. Right. Mm-hmm. She'd be screaming, and I didn't know what they were, and I asked the doctor, I said, well, what should I do? She just wakes up screaming. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, she's just spoiled spanker. <gasps> oh. <laughs> oh so I went home and she had a night terror and spanked her. And she woke up and looked at me like, why did I deserve that? Yeah. What mm-hmm. have I done? Yeah. So I realized that was stupid. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, good.
2: <laughs> that was stupid. <laughs> but as she got older, she would come out running and jumping and she'd run along the top of the couch and I was afraid she'd fall. It was very difficult because I remember she just didn't sleep and then I brought home my third child and my neighbor said to me she says Alice I'm so sorry that baby keeps you up all night and I thought no she's so good. She sleeps mm-hmm. through the night, and I realized it was it was the second child mm. who was still waking me up in the night. Mm. It, was, it was difficult. One morning I woke up and she was not in her bed, and I looked all around the house, could not find her, and the front door was open. Oh that's terrifying. Oh. It is terrifying. And yeah. I went outside, and I found her. And she was asleep in the middle of the street. <gasps> oh. It was so scary. Wow! Jeez. So after that, we had to deadbolt her in because yeah. she would walk in her sleep. She didn't know what she was doing, but she mm-hmm. would sleepwalk. Wow! Um, and she, by that time, could open doors. It was very frightening. It was so it was difficult being her mom. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, both. It sounds like both day and night were hard, you know. They were, Mm -hmm. and and that makes everything harder when you're not getting good sleep, too.
2: Right. And then when people look at you and think that you're spoiling your child, right, and you're like, I don't know what to do with
1: her. Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
0: Was there ever any point where the sleeping got any better, or was it always just terrifying?
2: Oh, it got better. Okay, that's good. She got a little older, but Mm. she would still have night terrors at times. Mm. And when she was in kindergarten, she'd draw the most fantastic creatures. Mm. Mm. Okay. They were really fantastic. And I thought, oh, boy, she's very creative. And later she told me, Mom, I saw those creatures.
1: To me, they were
2: real. Wow. Wow. So I just thought she had a lot of imagination. But Mm -hmm. I guess her she did, but her mind imagined those. So when she said she saw them, were they in dreams,
0: or she would just see them? I think that
2: at first I thought they were in dreams, but later, as she grew older, she would talk to people who weren't there. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I didn't understand that she also had a form of autism. Okay. And I didn't. She wasn't diagnosed with that because she was in her 30s
1: okay Okay. yeah that's a long time
2: so it made schooling difficult too it made everything difficult
1: right right because she was not just struggling with those symptoms of schizoaffective but struggling with autism struggling in social relationships struggling with sensory probably stuff right Um, yeah and
2: then when she was I guess she was about seven or six And my husband left me, my first husband. And that was difficult for her. Okay. Very hard. And I remarried when she was nine. Okay. And she and my next husband did not get along. Oh, no. It was was very difficult. So she didn't like him, and that was a problem. But he wasn't always kind to her either. (laughs) It was like a two-way street. I mean... I could understand.
1: Yeah. That's a hard thing. Blended families. (laughs) It's, I don't know that I've met one that it's been easy. And I think with your daughter's struggles, that would have just added a lot more challenge on top.
2: It did. Yeah. When she was like 13 Mm -hmm. and I was working part-time, I asked my older children, and she was one of the older ones, to watch the baby. Mm Mm-hmm. Who was the youngest who didn't really like. Mm-hmm. And one time, I told her that she needed to watch him. You know, when I was thirteen, I babysat my siblings all the time. Mm-hmm. But she took her sister and locked her in the dog kennel. Oh my gosh! Wow. Her sister was eating the dog food with ants in it. Oh no! But she remembers that. Mm. And then there, were, so I realized. Well, I can't ask her to watch. Mm. you know and then another time I asked my older son who was really he was very careful and very sweet with his his baby sister he Mm -hmm. was I mean he loved her they had a special relationship and that's good and so he was watching her and I don't know why but the one daughter got very angry and came at them with a knife Mm. and that was like when I said I can't keep her here yeah. Because I was really afraid mm-hmm. that she would harm somebody. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she, there was one time, there were two boys in the neighborhood who were teasing her, mm-hmm. and she ran after them with a chainsaw. She didn't know how to turn it <laughs> oh. on, but still. Yeah, but she had
0: the chainsaw. <laughs> wow.
2: But she had the chainsaw. I
1: bet they did not like... bother her again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Hmm? Well, she, wow. yeah, she, they were a little older than she was, and they were teasing her. Yeah. Wow. But Hmm. still, I mean, things like that make you very nervous as a mother because you're Mm -hmm. like, I don't want her killing somebody. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if she's capable.
1: Well, and not only that, but you really didn't know for a long time what was going on. When did she finally get a diagnosis?
2: She was in her 20s. Wow. wow. But I noticed, I mean, I thought there was something wrong. And I went to the school district. Mm-hmm. and they did some psychological testing, and they wanted to put her in a program at a hospital, but she couldn't go visit it. We'd gone to a few places where they had children who were, you know, not functional, mm-hmm. yeah. not doing very well, and she saw that. And she said, what do you think, I'm an idiot? You think I'm crazy? Mm-hmm. And so she talked to her father, and and the place I wanted, the hospital, northridge hospital they said well you know we'll take her she'll go on a bus we'll educate her but we need to work with family Mm -hmm. and i thought well that's great i'm willing to work with them because i need her to be okay Mm -hmm. and her father said no i will not do that so i said well she can't stay here because she had threatened my youngest with a knife And so he took her, but he really didn't give her very good care. And she suffered a lot of things at his house because he'd remarried and he had two awful stepsons who were into drugs and all sorts of things. And so eventually she moved out, moved in with a friend, and then she was on the streets. Mm. And then he put her up in an apartment and I would visit her then, and that mm-hmm. would be good. But...
0: She was there by herself in the She apartment. was there
2: by herself. Okay. She wanted to go stay with her friend in Tennessee. And mm-hmm. I said, well, you know, I think you should try it. That would be good. Because I think everybody needs to, you know, experience their wings and stuff. So she moved to Tennessee. But... Um, I guess she really had a breakdown there in Tennessee, mm. and the girl she was with sent her back to California, and at that time, she um, was diagnosed and okay. got treatment, but she wasn't always compliant.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: In fact, she was not compliant.
1: Yeah. Was she diagnosed with schizoaffective at that time, or did she have to go through a couple different diagnoses first?
2: I'm not sure, but eventually they had diagnosed her with schizoaffective disorder. Okay. And then there was a time, by this most time, most of my children had grown older, and only my youngest was still in the household. She was like 12, and the others were away at college or whatever. And she had been living with a friend. But she and the friend argued, and she showed up one day and said, I have no place to go. Will you take me back? And I've, I said, of course. I mean, but there were times before that where she wouldn't even let me contact her because she thought I was trying to kill her. Mm-hmm. It was, it, I mean, they said it's been difficult, but yeah. I didn't always understand, and I didn't always do the right thing. of course not. Nobody's perfect.
1: Well, and you really didn't know. I mean, I think even knowing it's a very difficult and challenging illness to work with.
2: Uh Well, I wish I'd stood up to the man in my life and said, hey. Yeah. (laughs) But I did not.
1: Yeah. Yeah. With the schizoaffective disorder at that time, did she struggle with any like delusions or paranoia
2: she's had paranoia okay like she thought we were gonna kill her
1: mm-hmm. okay
2: it was not easy yeah but I didn't always see it from her point of view right I didn't understand sometimes you just thought she was being a willful teenager mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah
1: yeah well it's hard to understand when there is that paranoia because to you it doesn't make logical sense. Like you can see what's happening clearly, but in her mind, it's telling her that things are very, very different. And so the the way she's responding and what she's saying, it's going to be very hard to understand why she's doing what she's doing and saying what she's saying and acting how she's acting.
2: And I remember being 13 was really awful time anyway.
1: Yeah, (laughs) that's true.
2: When you're 13, I mean, I remember crying one moment and laughing the next. Yeah. My emotions all over the place. Yeah. My memory of that, it was like, oh, okay. So she's struggling with hormones.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which she was, but the hormones were probably triggering more of the mental health issues. Yeah. Which is really tough. So how old was she when she moved in with her, her dad?
2: She... Moved in, uh, she was in her teens.
1: In her teens. Okay. Okay. So she was just kind of getting to that point where everything was just unmanageable and it wasn't safe to have her in your home, but your ex-husband just would not agree for her to go into that program?
2: That's right. She, I think she was in ninth grade. Okay. And she was skipping school all the time. Mm -hmm. She was not going to school. Yeah. Yeah. But even though she was at her dad's house, I took her to a like a home study program, okay. and I take her every, every week, make sure she did her work, no. but she even quit that. But I was trying to get her through school.
0: Mm-hmm. But
2: finally, I think when she was like 17, we found out about the GED, and we got her to take that, and she passed that. Oh, good, oh,
1: good, for good. her. That's okay. really great.
2: That is. Yeah. She's extremely brilliant.
1: <laughs> she seems
2: like it. She was very smart. Yeah, and she's still very smart. Mm-hmm. But school and she just didn't get along. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Well, I feel like so much of school is just about following the rules and not about the learning. And um, they kind of want everybody to fit into a certain mold, mm-hmm. and people but don't all fit into that mold. I,
2: I had an example, so she took woodworking and her teacher passed out these patterns and he says okay we're all going to make a napkin holder i want you to choose a pattern and then we'll you'll learn how to use the the tools and and we'll go through the steps well she didn't like any of the patterns Mm -hmm. so she made her own of a cat oh wow two cats and it was difficult because they had a very narrow tail and ears and everything and she cut them out and she made them and hammered them together and glued them together and she had this awesome napkin holder but her teacher failed her <gasps> because she didn't follow the pattern She didn't follow the pattern and he said oh, he couldn't judge goodness. her so she failed
1: After but i doing bet doing something are... so amazing
2: yes i bet there are oh. people in her class who made napkin holders and their parents have thrown them in the trash and I still have hers. Do you yeah. mind if I ask how old she is
0: now? She's
2: um forty-seven.
0: Okay. So she's roughly all right. She's a little bit mm-hmm. older. Yeah. yeah. I just remember school when we were growing up was very much like that. And it was really, really difficult. I think they were just kind of starting to understand about learning disabilities. And possibly trying to, like, accommodate a little bit. Barely. I think they did have special programs that were, you know, for special needs kids. But when you're growing up and you don't have any sort of diagnosis and you're just acting bizarrely, people just think you're weird. Well, that's what
2: she thought. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I don't know. Uh, That's so hard to to just grow up like that and be just labeled as this weird kid and we don't know what to do with you you don't fit in so
2: but you're I smart enough yeah, yeah. so it's we'll so move you from grade to grade it, yeah. although you fail and you oh, she had an art teacher in second grade mm. who said we're going to learn about ballads," and she said she gave him an example of where they were supposed to put everything on the page. Mm-hmm. Well, she drew a drawing, but hers was balanced, but it was not the example that the teacher gave, and so the mm-hmm. teacher failed her. Oh my! And she had him up on the wall, and at back to school night, and she was explaining about it. And there's a drawing with a red mark on it, and I said to her, "I says, you know, this is perfectly balanced." It's not formal balance, it's informal balance.
1: Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. You knew what you were
0: talking about, yeah, because <laughs> you're the art teacher.
2: And the teacher was like, you know, she wasn't happy with me, <laughs> but she was great <laughs> for my other next daughter. Oh, yeah, who followed the rules and did things mm-hmm. right. And yeah, anyway, wow, but it didn't work. She went to school and She wasn't learning anything in her classes, so she'd skip school and go to the library and read.
1: Oh, wow. (laughs) That's a good place to be if you're going to skip class.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But the truant officer wasn't very happy. (laughs) 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 We had run-ins with the truant officer.
1: (laughs) Wow. Wow. Yeah. The fact that she's skipping class to go to the library (laughs) To go
0: read, I think that's awesome. I think that is... (laughs) That's not what I was doing when I was skipping school.
1: (laughs) That is funny. So tell us more about when she was an adult and like when she came to live with you and.
2: Okay. So when she was an adult, she had a friend who also had mental problems Mm -hmm. who suggested that she go see this doctor. And that's, I think when she began to realize that they had a problem and, They put her on medication, but she had lithium, which Mm. caused her face to break out like crazy. Mm. And she was not doing well. And one day after she came to live with me, she tried overdosing on lithium. Oh no. And I ran her to the hospital because she'd gone to her group that day and I guess she was in a mixed state and they told her to go home. And so I she thought it was hopeless, so she had mm. tried to take her too many pills. Mm. And when I went in and she was acting weird, and I asked her, you know, what she'd done, she wouldn't tell me. Mm. And then I saw her empty bottle, I said, did you take these? And she said yes. So we called the paramedics and took her to the hospital, and they pumped her stomach and put her in the psych ward. But then they had this rule that you couldn't stay I mean, if a person signed themselves out after 72 hours, then they'd come home. Mm-hmm. So she didn't want to stay. Mm-hmm. And so she'd come home. But she was getting better, hmm. you know, and they put her on a different medication.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and Medicaid, it, we filed papers, you know, for her to be on Medicaid. Mm-hmm. So she could get these expenses covered. Mm-hmm. And Medicaid had some weird rules. Mm-hmm, they they said, oh, you used up your lifetime supply of this drug. Now you have to pay.
1: Oh, my goodness.
2: And it's like, excuse me if the doctor's prescribing it. <laughs> Why oh. do you have to pay? And we went through a lot of things like that. Yeah. But she lived with us until we, we moved here. Mm-hmm. And... um can't remember what drug she was taking, but she gained a lot of weight. Mm. She got very heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she seemed to be okay. She was going to college. She was getting A's. I'm good for her. You know, she was doing very well, but she felt like this drug depressed her creative side because she didn't do any more drawings. Mm. And she was always creative. She was Mm -hmm. really good at that. Mm -hmm. And so she started being strange, and she stopped taking her meds, Mm -hmm. but she didn't tell us. Mm -hmm. And then she got very strange, and she and her stepfather didn't always get along. But mm-hmm. she, after she moved back with us, she was okay mm-hmm. until she stopped taking her meds, and then there were days I was afraid that she would come in and kill us. Oh my goodness!
1: Wow!
2: So she would just stay up hours and hours, days on end. I think she went maybe three days with four days without sleeping. Oh my! And so she failed that last semester that she was taking because mm. she. She came to me, the paper had to be in by midnight. She
1: mm-hmm.
2: came to me and woke me up at 11 and said, you need to help me. But we mm. couldn't do it. No. <laughs> not no. at 11 o'clock at night. And she yeah. was all over the place as to where she was in writing. And mm-hmm. and you had to install a certain program. And, you know, I'm not really good with that sort of thing. So I, we just couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And she just got really strange. I mean, she was going to Valley Mental Health, because when we moved here, that's one of the things we we checked into. And they finally found a place for her, and they put her in a a home, which was really good for her, Mm -hmm. because she was thinking that her stepdad didn't want her, and it was terrible. (laughs) It was awful. And the stress in the home was just over the top. Yeah, Mm -hmm. But they moved her into a place, and She had a roommate who was awful, Hmm. (laughs) who was very unclean, and my daughter's quite tidy, and the lady wouldn't clean up the toilet seat after she'd messed on it. (laughs) Oh, that's (laughs) gross. She'd open the fridge and take my daughter's food, Uh and she put all her trash in the cupboards that were supposed to be my daughter's, and it was just... (laughs) terrible yeah. it was Ugh. terrible it was a terrible experience and then of course this lady would smoke in the apartment and Ugh. my daughter is a non-smoker and so eventually they found her a, a place in apartment where she's by herself and it's much better because it's more independent living they have somebody that mm-hmm. comes around you know every so often and will mm-hmm. take them grocery shopping and stuff but Mostly. And then they do apartment checks to make mm. sure that they're keeping their place clean. But she's thriving in that situation. Oh, good. Except That's for good. with her health, you know, mm. so she that- also has mm. MS.
0: Oh, oh, my gosh. This
2: she's girl. been she's been really hitting the health department. Yeah.
0: So is that where she is right now?
2: That's and, where and she they, is now. Okay.
0: How long has she been there?
2: She's probably been there like three years. But okay. she's been out of the house for about five. And okay. we have a weekly day every Tuesday. Mm-hmm. I go and we go out to lunch and then oh, I that's nice. run around and we run her errands, like take her bird to the, the groomers or. What kind of bird does she have? She has a parrot that she loves. Oh, okay. Does the parrot talk and stuff? The parrot talks. That's cool. Oh, um... <laughs> the parrot's amazing. He keeps her company.
1: Good. So it sounds like things have been pretty stable then for a few years for her. They have. Which is good.
2: Since my health is declining, I worry what will happen to her when Mm. I leave.
1: Yeah.
0: Does she have anyone else that she's close to besides you?
2: Uh, Not as close.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Okay.
2: She has her one sister, but she tends to make enemies Mm. because she's, So literal. Okay. It's hard. And she, she, I mean, she used to be very close to her brother, but he said some things and now she won't forgive him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And she has one sister that she's very good with. But the daughter that that I had with my second husband, she doesn't like him, like her, because Mm -hmm. she says that she should never have been born. I should never have married him. Mm. Oh, no.
1: So that's been hard. Yeah. So they've probably never had a good relationship with if she's had that attitude. Not really. Her whole life. Yeah. So what are some of the things that you have learned or that you could pass on to other parents who are struggling with kids who have, you know, any kind of special needs?
2: I think the biggest thing that I've learned is that you need to trust your gut. Yeah. If you think they have a problem, you should keep looking and finding answers mm-hmm. and not just let everybody else decide what's going on.
1: Yeah. That's I wish really I'd good done advice. that. Yeah. It's hard to do. It's hard to face a system that, that is not responding when you're asking for help.
2: And. I think back then they didn't really understand mental illness as much. Right. And it was looked at as a stigma. Mm
1: -hmm. In fact,
2: I think that's what my ex-husband thought, you know, that if you got a label, then it would read poorly on the whole family.
1: Mm, Okay.
2: You know, so.
1: Yeah.
2: He wouldn't. And besides, he had problems too, so. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I also think I've learned now to listen more Mm -hmm. and not be so quick to judge. It's hard sometimes. I've found that reflective answering, you know, like answering, so why did you do that? Or why do you feel that? And Mm -hmm. letting her express it Mm -hmm. is much better. So a lot Mm -hmm. of times I'm really quiet, but it's hard when she's blaming you and you're telling Mm -hmm. you all these things and You're like, I want to get my point across. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it wasn't always that way. Well, you didn't see it, but you know, you feel like, well, maybe you should just stop and look at it from somebody else's point of view, but Mm -hmm. she doesn't see it that way.
1: Right. Like her ability to do that perspective taking is pretty limited. And so you've learned to not expect that. And it sounds like that's helped you to maintain a better relationship with her. Uh
2: And there are times when I say, you're really angry right now. And I think that our visit should end. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay.
2: And I'll see you again next week. And then she'll text me and text me and text me, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, trying to make her point clear. Yeah. And I, don't respond so much to the texts because she'll mm-hmm. be very angry. Mm-hmm. It'll mm-hmm. take a while. I've learned also to apologize for mm-hmm. my mistakes and mine, because mm-hmm. I make them all the time. Yeah. I'm not perfect. I've learned that definitely.
1: Does she accept your apologies when you do apologize?
2: Sometimes, but sometimes okay. not. Yeah. I've also learned to change the conversation. Mm, does that work? Uh sometimes (laughs) okay you know she'll be going down a path that I know will lead to us butting heads Mm -hmm. and I'll say something totally out of the blue and then turn her mind to that and then Mm -hmm. she'll follow that trend and then we're like oh good we're off that topic (laughs) (laughs) because I mean sometimes no it doesn't work but sometimes Mm. it does you know like talking about a woman pilot or something, or I heard on the news (laughs) like Tuesday when we went out, I don't know what we were talking about, Mm -hmm. but I knew it would not end well. Mm -hmm. So I said to her, I said, did you know there was a huge earthquake in Syria and Turkey? Mm -hmm. And there've been thousands of people killed. Mm -hmm. And she started showing interest because she'd been to that area. Oh, wow. With her father. And Mm -hmm. was talking about it. And then we got talking about the Armenians. And so we went off in a different direction. Yeah. And that was really good. Mm -hmm. So I've kind of learned, let's steer the conversation somewhere else.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really good that you can kind of see ahead of time, right? Before Mm -hmm. you get to the place where it's not going well. Like you're able to have that foresight that... Where this is going to lead is not going to be good. <laughs> yeah. Because I think it's harder to do that diversion if people are already getting upset, upset because yeah. they're already worked up and then they feel like resistant towards you. So I think that's a really great strategy to kind of head it off in the first place.
2: Well, it works sometimes. Yeah. But not always. But anyway, yeah. that's one of my, one of my tricks. <laughs> it, well, not really a trick, but it works. Mhm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What other advice would you have maybe as a parent in general too not just a parent of someone who s- struggles with mental health?
2: Well, as a parent I've learned that you can't force your children to be something they're not and if their beliefs are different than yours you kind of have to let them go.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right.
2: You have to let them be who they are. Mm-hmm. You can say, you know, well, I think this and this, but as adults, they're free to do as they please. Mm -hmm. But you always love them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You don't have to like their behavior, but you still love them.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's really good advice, especially for this day and age. I think that message of love and acceptance is just more important than ever. Alice, do you have any other words of wisdom? to share with us today i think i've talked a lot (laughs) (laughs) yes you might need to go take a nap when you're done (laughs) i'm so happy i love i just love
0: listening to people's stories and i think it's so great that you have such this like the word resilience comes into mind but just this like good positive outlook even though things were like really rough a lot of times when you were raising kids and Even growing up, too, I think. I like your attitude. It's very inspirational to me. I I think think it's...
2: I try to be positive because otherwise I'd be down in the dumps. Yeah. Who wants to be with somebody who's
1: always miserable? You don't even want to be with yourself. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I've been there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So a few days,
2: there are a couple of days maybe each year where I'll have the little pity party, but yeah i lost my husband a year and a half ago
0: oh i'm so sorry
2: yeah it hasn't been easy but i've always wanted to look at the better side of things yeah yeah instead of dwelling in the darkness yeah i think
0: it helps us feel better but also so hard to do sometimes it was so nice meeting you thank you for sharing your story you're welcome Hello, uh, it's the Julies jumping in again. We just wanted to come back and talk about a couple things that I think are important for this episode to talk about that we probably won't get to in the mind moment and the first thing that i wanted to talk about i think a lot of people might have questions about which is uh what is schizoaffective disorder
1: yeah let's talk a little bit more about that because it is a disorder that's not as commonly talked about or heard about or understood although it does share kind of part of its name with schizophrenia Um, I do think it would be good to talk a little bit more about what exactly is schizoaffective disorder and maybe how is it different. So, what
0: is it exactly? I know I have to
1: look it up. Right. So schizoaffective disorder is kind of like combining two other disorders together. So, you have to have symptoms of um, either a, a depressive episode or a manic episode in addition to symptoms that go along with schizophrenia. So you kind of have either like depression and schizophrenia symptoms, or maybe like manic or bipolar type symptoms along with schizophrenia.
0: Okay, so I guess I have a question about that. I have heard that schizophrenia and bipolar are pretty closely related. Is that...
1: Yeah. So g- genetically, it, it kind of a similar pathway. So when they've kind of looked at the genetics, a lot of times within a family system, you might have some family members who present with a mental illness of bipolar, where maybe a, another family member would present more as Schizophrenia, you know, if you're familiar at all with epigenetics and kind of the way it works, our environment is kind of interplays with our genetics and it really can, our environment, you know, what we're exposed to, the foods that we eat, the type of exercise that we do, all of those things actually influence our genetics. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, schizophrenia and bipolar can have some very similar features. During a manic episode, you can actually have psychotic Mm -hmm. uh, symptoms, which do look a lot like schizophrenia. So there's some crossover between symptoms. They are two Mm -hmm. separate disorders. But when you're looking at like schizoaffective, bipolar, and schizophrenia, there's just a ton of symptoms that are going to be very, very similar. Okay. Okay. Does that make sense?
0: Uh-huh. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there might be people who have more questions and stuff, um, but I think for me, it makes sense.
1: Okay. Do we want to talk about anything more specific as far as like, what are the symptoms of schizophrenia or what is yeah, the us
0: talk Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about schizophrenia. So I know that it's basically like hallucinations, which can be uh, auditory where you're hearing voices or yeah. you can actually That's... see things that aren't there
1: yeah i i would say auditory hallucinations are the most common but there can definitely be other hallucinations either visual or olfactory can be pretty normal too where you're smelling things that's another one that happens to a lot of people but i've known people who have had tactile uh hallucinations where they actually feel things that aren't there as well so hallucinations can show up in a lot of different ways but another kind of hallmark of Schizophrenia is often delusions or paranoia that can can very much go along with the other symptoms, which I know Alice talked quite a bit about when she was talking more about her daughter. There was definitely some paranoia and delusions. I have a question.
0: Yeah. And this might be a totally different thing, but I've had this thing before where, (laughs) like, I'll be laying in my bed and I'll see a spider like yeah. crawling over my head or something uh-huh. and okay. then it goes somewhere I can't see and then I'll start to think I feel things like crawling on me <laughs> does that <laughs> fall under the, the uh...
1: I think that's pr- I would probably just call that an overactive imagination more than anything right. sorry
0: I don't want to get sidetracked but that actually leads yeah. to another question though is like how, like, is it possible for somebody who has schizophrenia or has, like, these kinds of delusions or or whatever, how do you know what's real and what's not real? Like, if you're the person, I mean, obviously, people around you are going to know because nobody else will see or hear what you're seeing or hearing, that kind of thing, right? But how do right. you, you know? I mean, is it possible to live, like, well with schizophrenia? Can you be, like, in a functioning, like, on your own? I, I mean,
1: I don't know. Yeah. It's a It is a very, very challenging diagnosis because mm-hmm. the hallmarks of the disorder with the delusions and the paranoia and the, the hallucinations and so forth, yeah, you, a person doesn't really oftentimes recognize that it's not real unless there is some type of external validation outside of that person. I, I did know someone who had long COVID and it affected their brain, and they were having hallucinations. So they didn't have schizophrenia, but they were having hallucinations, and they recognized the hallucin- the hallucinations as okay. hallucinations, right? Like, oh, okay. she said she was in her bedroom, and she saw Jabba the Hutt in the corner of her room, oh, okay. and like she knew Jabba the Hutt. Number one is not real, and number two, he's not in her house. And so she just knew her brain was making this thing up, but she saw it very clearly. Oh, that's and crazy. then she also saw like the magic school bus from the you know the the old cartoon and books. Oh, interesting! The magic school bus like drove through her bedroom. Oh, that's <laughs> so crazy! A oh. hallucination. So in that situation, she recognized that what she was seeing and experiencing was not real real because it was so outside of the norm. Right. But oftentimes people with schizophrenia, they're already a little bit paranoid about trusting people. Right. So if other people are saying this isn't happening, they're not necessarily going to believe them. But I think it really probably depends on the person, too. And kind of the support. I mm-hmm. I have to be honest, I haven't worked with a ton of schizophrenic people, Okay. Um, but I have worked with a few and many, many, many years ago, I did work with um, a teenager who came to me. She'd never seen another therapist and she shared with me some of the experiences that she was having and she recognized that they were unusual because she was like talking to people and she was getting feedback from other people that that person wasn't there. Oh, okay. And so. So when she came to me, I was able to identify very quickly, you know, in talking to her that it was probably more schizophrenia and less okay. bipolar. Oh, and then we yeah. sat down and met with the family and came up with a, a good plan to kind of help her out. Okay. So she was able to share with me the information that I needed, mm-hmm. um, which was good. And we were able to get her help really quickly. And there a lot of people who struggle with schizophrenia do very much respond to well to medications for managing the delusions and the hallucinations. Okay. So So once they're medicated, oftentimes they can live with support very well. Okay. Um, I had worked with someone whose father was schizophrenic and in his 20s had an episode um, where he kind of broke from reality, he got diagnosed and he took his medication religiously and never had another episode.
0: Oh, okay. That's good.
1: Yeah. So he, the me- you know, you have some side effects from these medications. They're pretty strong medications. So mm-hmm. his affect was pretty flat, which also can be a symptom of schizophrenia, but kind of the really difficult, scary, hard ones of delusions and hallucinations, mm-hmm. he did not. have and he'd held a job and he'd supported his family and like he'd lived a decent life
0: okay that's yeah that's cool so
1: yeah schizophrenia is a disorder that needs to be managed well because there's a high risk Mm -hmm. to someone who isn't in touch with reality but when someone has the supports that they need and if they're willing to go on their medication and stay on it right like go Find a good medication, get on it, stay on it. I think that there's a lot of hope. Yeah. A lot of hope.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Well, I mean, even Alice talked about, you know, her daughter has been able to live out on her own. And she did have quite a few difficulties. But I think what you're saying about having the right support and stuff can be helpful. Which, I mean, you think about it, people, all of us need support.
1: The right and support, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so the, the other thing that people might not be aware of is what is a manic episode. Okay. You know, you talk about manic episodes usually when you talk about bipolar disorder. And in a manic episode, that's when people are in an elevated mood, an mm-hmm. elevated state, and their brain is kind of just running faster. Mm-hmm. So when we had our episode... And we talked to Michelle. She talked a little bit about some of the things that she experienced in a manic state. Right. But usually they, people will talk really fast. They have lots of energy. They usually don't sleep a lot mm-hmm. or sometimes at all um, because it's like they're feeling pushed. They, they think they're brilliant and coming up with lots of great ideas. Yeah, right. um, but they also, during a manic episode, can engage in a lot of risk-taking behavior,
0: Yeah, and for Michelle, that was like the spending money. Spending money.
1: I know that's a really common one. That is a common one. Mm -hmm. And so mania is tricky because on the one hand, they often feel really, really good, Mm -hmm. especially with bipolar, they feel really good compared to the depressive episodes. Right. But on the other hand, it can come with some pretty, pretty big consequences to their life that... After the fact, they're not going to be happy about. Yeah. So with schizoaffective, you can have either the depressive episodes or mania in addition to...
0: Schizophrenia.
1: The, the schizophrenia symptoms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's kind of more yeah. specifically about schizoaffective. Yeah. It's an interesting diagnosis because it's kind of combining a few different things rather than giving three separate diagnoses. And
0: I feel like it's probably pretty uncommon as well. I mean... yeah
1: yeah yeah if you gave me a minute I could look up the prevalence
0: well while you're doing that I kind of just wanted to go into how impressive Alice was to me because having to raise a child like that I think is so it's so difficult and she definitely did the very best that she could especially with you know I how old was her daughter when she got diagnosed
1: she was in her twenties. Yeah, she early said. adulthood. Yeah. Oh, so, so I looked up the prevalence rate uh, of uh, schizoaffective, and it's point three percent. So it's it's a very small percentage. So three people cool. out of every one thousand people.
0: Okay, and that's in the U.S. or is that like worldwide? Or it doesn't say. It probably doesn't matter. 03 percent. It it's pretty low.
1: <laughs> yeah. pretty low. Yeah, pretty low. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So. You just talked about how challenging that would be. And I do think it's really challenging. I think both bipolar and schizophrenia are some of the most challenging mental health disorders, both for the person experiencing them and for their family members who love them Mm -hmm. and want to be a part of their life, just because it's hard. It's (laughs) It's just really, really hard. So I'm really grateful that Alice was willing to come on and share her experiences, right? It, Mm -hmm. this is 0.3%. So you're not going to run into someone every day who has a family member who struggles with this. So I feel like it was really a great and unique opportunity to hear from someone directly, like what their experience was like, Yeah, you know, what were some of the things that they experienced that were kind of out of the norm and Mm -hmm. you know, how they've navigated that over their lifetime. Yeah. And I just have been really impressed with a lot of characteristics that Alice has displayed. And I think that she's gained them because this was a very challenging experience. Like I think a lot about, I I love talking about paradoxes and Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of Alice is a paradox, you know, on the one hand, I feel like she has shown so much strength in character and and how she's handled things but at the same time she also exhibits so much patience in her life mm-hmm. and you don't always think about strength and patience as like going along together right. right um but she definitely you know I know her personally and I I have to say I just really admire those characteristics in her and how they have come together and helped her to become who she is today
0: yeah She's incredible. Like, the thing that stands out to me, too, is because, you know, early on, she talked about some of the things that she experienced in trying to deal with her daughter when she was young, and I just, I really like that she is a very independent thinker and that she kind of, like, pushed against the social norms at the time. You know, for herself, yeah. she thought it was really important to breastfeed her daughter. And she was really trying to do that, you know, despite not having the support for that in the hospital. And also <laughs> the incident where her kid was, her daughter was having a hard time sleeping in the doctor. Oh, the
1: night terrors. Yeah. Well, yeah. And the Waking doctor's like, like, oh, she's just
0: spoiled. Just spank her. It's spank like her. Yeah. Uh, mm. I, I don't know. I, I mean, that was seemed like the social norm back then I mean having a spoiled child was the worst thing that could happen and spanking was also a very common way that they would discipline and stuff like that and yeah you know she realized that now nah, it's dumb I'm not gonna do that anymore uh, you know she listened yes. to the advice of the professional which we all do and, and she was willing to realize that no that's wrong I think I think that takes a lot of courage to be honest it does you.
1: yeah I think so too, right? And even pushing back against like the teacher, as she talked about her daughter and the art project in like uh-huh. second grade, and just pushing back to the teachers and say it's not classically balanced, but this is, yeah, this is balanced. You know, yeah. that it does take a lot of independent thinking uh-huh. to really push back, and and she was willing to speak up, yeah, for what she knew and felt was right, mm-hmm. and I think sometimes that was really hard, and sometimes. People don't listen even when you do speak up, but yeah, but I think that that's really good.
0: A lot of times people don't listen.
1: Yeah, people unfortunately,
0: yeah, they get their ideas in their head, and that's the right way. There's no other way, so (laughs) yeah,
1: Yeah, but I think we're living in a world now where we're more and more open to alternative ideas and to really being willing. You know to think outside of the box Mm. and appreciate people and their neuro like i love the term neurodivergence Mm. are you familiar with that term i've heard
0: it explain though
1: yeah so there's kind of this way of thinking where there's kind of people who are more neurotypical And their brains kind of function maybe like 80% of the population. But then there's this area of neurodivergence where Mm -hmm. neurologically speaking, people are maybe a little bit different. So some of the disorders who've been diagnosed in this area would be um, like ADHD Or autism, people with some of those disorders, it is a neurological thing. Their brain is processing information, it's thinking differently. But these terms I love because rather than pathologizing it and say this is bad or this is wrong, it's really looking at how can we utilize the strength of people who do think in a different way, Mm -hmm. right? Like I have a daughter who is dyslexic, and there's a lot of research that says that people with dyslexia. Are extremely creative because their brain has had to f- kind of figure out a whole different way to try and read. Mm, yeah, and so I love people who are neurodivergent mm-hmm. or different or like you like to talk a lot, Julie, about people who are weird.
0: Right? <laughs> um, yeah,
1: that's. <laughs> <laughs> I love neurodiversity, and I love the broad range of people and, and opinions and ideas and. It's part of why I wanted to do this podcast with you, yeah, um, so that we could get to know a lot of different people and a lot of different experiences.
0: Yep, I agree. That's one thing that I've actually been really thankful for. The places that I've lived in have had a lot of people from all over the place. Especially oh, nice. living in, you know, Southern California and near Los Angeles and stuff. Like, it's, I, I you got people from all over the place and I've actually loved that
1: um I love that too yeah yeah,
0: just people who've had different experiences and yeah
1: it's cool it is cool it is cool and I think sometimes it's hard because we as humans are really set up to be in our comfort zone Mm -hmm. and so we do tend as to normally gravitate towards people who are the same as us Mm mm-hmm Like, that's what we're most comfortable with. Mm -hmm. But when we're willing to get outside of our comfort zone and learn about new people and cultures, it really helps us to grow and for our mindsets to grow. So it's sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's easy. Right. People, Mm -hmm. someone who's different and they're just interesting and fun. Yeah. But sometimes it's kind of hard. It kind of pushes against what feels okay Mm -hmm. for us.
0: Yeah, it's true. But
1: podcasts are a great way to maybe be pushed outside your comfort zone a little bit. That's true.
0: Yeah, I think it just depends on the person, right? I think it can feel bad to be around somebody who's very different than you if they don't accept the differences. But I actually have quite a few friends who are very, very different from me and they also appreciate differences too. And so I don't know. It just feels good. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's true.
1: It's true. And I think that's a key component, right? Mm -hmm. Being willing to accept and not feel threatened by those differences and, mm-hmm. and trying to keep an open mind to listening to mm-hmm. people and experiences that are different than your own. Yeah,
0: because I think the important thing is to recognize what's actually right and wrong. And I think sometimes people get stuck in this idea that if you don't agree with me, I'm right and you're wrong and you're just wrong. And a lot of it isn't really that. It's just a matter of perspective and you're, like what you've been through and experience and stuff and it's like okay they're not wrong but they had a different experience and if you can get beyond this okay you think differently than me but that's okay you know or get beyond the idea that oh if you don't
1: think like me it's wrong yeah right yeah and i think it kind of goes back to what alice kind of shared near the end where she really just talked about her main advice Mm -hmm. was to love someone yeah even when you don't agree with them mm-hmm. right just try to understand and love them mm-hmm. good message very, I love very it Very
0: good yeah loved Alice still love Alice she's wonderful and yeah thankful for the opportunity to talk to her and to share it with you guys
1: definitely and if you guys want to interact more with us you can find us on social media we're on Facebook and Instagram, and feel free to reach out. We have our email out there to ycjpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear more from you and more about what you'd like to learn more about. What type of people would you like us to be interviewing? What um, psychological principles would you like to hear more about? So please feel free to reach out and keep tuning in and listening.
0: Thank you. We appreciate you.
1: <laughs> yep. Bye. Bye.